I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and I am immortal. You're a dead guy named Nash. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramius, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their problems. You're alive. Why didn't you die? Hey, it's a kind of magic. Hi, I'm Candy. Of course you are. Hello and welcome to Another Time McLeod, the only podcast, as far as we're aware, that goes through the classic 1986 fantasy movie Highlander, scene by glorious scene. I'm your host Rob Daniel, and as always I am joined by my kinsman, Mr Rob Wallace. Oh, you've started referring to me as your kinsman now, which is way better than what I do. So, um, yeah, I'm going to steal that. But uh, as always, it's really lovely to be here. It is my gift to you. <laughs> and. I'm very happy to say that Cameron Harrison is returning after his triumphant debut last week, and he's back for some more Highlander chat. So Cameron, welcome back. Uh, can we do this forever, Robs? Mm. Will you do this to me forever? I blossom, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and so it begins. Glad to be back. Thank you. Thank you for not kicking me off after one episode. I appreciate it. No, oh, please. Um... And Cameron is the host of Green Shirt, a newbie's trek through the next generation. And I have to admit, I'm going to be slightly distracted on this episode because I listened to <laughs> a recent episode of Green Shirt and have spent the last 24 hours oh. just watching, just on YouTube, watching Deanna Troy say, first you spoon the fudge around the rim on a, <laughs> on a hard rotation. <laughs> so... <laughs> as well you should be yes I'm, I'm amazed you could pull yourself away to do this podcast <laughs> it was tough it was tough well thank you for listening no it was really funny it actually yes it did make me chuckle as i was walking up to have a covid booster shot so thank you for <laughs> <laughs> they just wondered why you kept giggling through your booster it's like <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't look nervous at all <laughs> probably thinking about deanna troy <laughs> spooning ice cream mm, that must be it <laughs> it's the only logical yeah it's the only thing that makes sense yeah that's right <laughs> but um okay then so moving on from yes spooning fudge around the rim which i then had to, i had to go and just check it out oh yeah she does say those exact words my god um <laughs> oh in in much sexier way than you or i are doing it now i'm sure we'll hear the clip shortly yeah. yes rob you've been given your orders um <laughs> first of all you have to spoon the fudge around the rim well today we are looking at a scene that runs from 37 minutes, 17 seconds to 39.01. And it is the, well, actually, it's the introduction of two major characters. It's the introduction of Heather, played by the lovely B.T. Edney. And it is the introduction of, and I actually wrote down his name because I should know it, but it's a tough one. And it's the, and it's the introduction of Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez played by the lovely Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Yes, as it stands, we're going to end just before he makes his appearance. So we're going to end on the horse, Winnie. So they're going to look up. So the next episode is basically going to start with 
the undercarriage of a horse. <laughs> I I see. Well, we didn't get that memo, but that's fine. We can move on. <laughs> that's okay. Discussing Sean Connery would be too much pressure for me. I, I wouldn't be ready for it. Yeah, we can't load the, the physical appearance of two of the main supporting cast into one episode. That, that'd be mad. We need to spread <laughs> the uh, spread the wealth. I would argue that we do get some Sean Connery essence in this scene, though, and we'll, we'll get to that in the final shot. Brilliant. Well, okay, then. So it's going to be mainly the BT Edney intro for this one, which is more than enough. Well, the Connor Castle, I mean, that's a character in of itself, isn't it? You are reading my mind. So yeah, this is a scene, so we've gone back in time again. So, um, so Connor is now living in a castle that apparently was half of what the production built and the top of it is a map painting which is like well that's, well, that's pretty good mm. but uh, but yeah i always wondered if he just found this amazing structure but uh but cameron you said that you think that he built it which is really really interesting so tell us about that oh yeah i mean uh i say that like i have evidence. no no that's just how what i always assume so it's interesting to think the other way maybe you're right but i guess just because it is in that half-built uh Form. It's got sticks holding it up, and like later we see that it falls apart pretty easily. That yeah, it must have been mid construction, and I, I just it. I always assumed Connor was building his and Heather's, you know, dream house there, and and the curtain came and destroyed it all. That's a much better way to look at it. <laughs> either either way, like whether he built it or I mean, is there any historical precedence for like a, a farming couple having a giant tower home like this? Is there? <laughs> Like, is this anything but pure fantasy at this point? It is It is somewhat fantastical, the fact it's like, in which case, you know, if he didn't build it, there was presumably this half-derelict tower standing in the, uh, in the island somewhere, and he... <laughs> Just with a for sale sign out front. Yeah, like, <laughs> was Heather already living there when he turned up? Oh. Did, did they move in together? You know, you don't get very much backstory in terms of his and Heather's relationship. It just kind of immediately goes on, okay, they're very charming, and they have good chemistry mm -hmm. mm. yeah i wanted to see their meet cute but uh <laughs> but uh, where she accidentally stabbed him and he didn't die well i don't know being uh connor and brenda's meet cute was more meat stalkery so who knows what what it was like with <laughs> yeah. heather think he stalked heather the same way yeah you ever get up to that broken castle in the high that's not a terrible scottish accent i'm sorry but <laughs> you ever get up to the creepy castle what why are you asking that so far we've had such a high you know you know general high quality of scottish accents for uh how, how dare you disgrace this <laughs> you're right i'm on i'm on brand for highlander this is a safe space for bad scottish accents especially <laughs> Um, well, actually, just to skip forward, even though we're not talking about Sean Connery, apparently, <laughs> but there is, um, in the next scene, he says to Connor, you haven't even begun to realise your potential, to which Connor should say, have you not seen the castle I built? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, he's got, uh, he's, he's got plenty of bragging rights right there behind him. Yeah, one, you always relied on other people to build your pyramids. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do love that we are cutting from the introduction of connor's ridiculously nice house in modern day to his ridiculously nice house in medieval scotland that is a nice uh back-to-back -back introductions there yeah it is you know we talk about in an earlier episode that we're not quite sure of what connor's living arrangement was in the village uh you know in uh, glenfinnan on the shore of loch shield mm. yeah i assume since he was a mcleod like that he would be in the castle no I, my understanding of Scottish history is very poor, though, so please enlighten me. I thought it would have been as well, yeah. I mean, they were riding out of the castle, and the camera, when Connor is has been stabbed and we transition back into the past from his present-day arrest, does the camera does focus on the castle and cut from the castle to him, in, him mm -hmm. on his deathbed. Mm -hmm. So he could reasonably assume that he used to live in a castle, 
and he he's just really stubbornly gone i know i'm <laughs> i've been banished from my village but i'm not taking i'm not downgrading my living situation there is a a standard to which i've become accustomed <laughs> yeah well and then yeah this kind of brownstone or brick whatever uh high rise he lives in in new york is probably the closest thing he could find there to a castle he definitely likes his high rises yeah, that's 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 a really good point i think that was probably probably the conscious decision that yeah he's trying to find the modern equivalent of home um yeah yeah indeed definitely he'd be very good on changing rooms wouldn't he it'd be one of those where he'd come in and say okay i can do something with this this is fine we can throw <laughs> yeah some things there and a skylight just there and uh because of course the castle is just one big skylight right now isn't it because it's got an open mm. open roof by the looks of it <laughs> it is it's also i mean this is an amazing wherever they're at is gorgeous of course like all the scotland uh scenes are and i'm like like do you need an extra three stories of height to get a view like you've got a beautiful view on the ground level <laughs> you're not going to get much better well you know they obviously needed the space because they were planning on having kids so yeah but how many that <laughs> they were going to fill a car with these kids i guess it's maybe trickier to build out because after a certain point you do hit fairly (laughs) steep slopes so you don't need to build up there's so much space around in terms of connor building that himself where did he get the stone from he is in the highlands that's true they are yeah what, what it doesn't actually tell you is that this is 50 years on from the previous scene and connor has just spent you know a, a mortal life from that era yes. building this really yes. lovely tower i mean can one man build that like it's impressive as we said well in the uh in the tv series when uh duncan mcleod comes along the uh the protagonist of that played by adrian paul sure Connor has kind of passed into legend in the mcleod clan as being you know the man who was you know brought back by the devil maybe that's if he thinks from the top tower he could like see his kinsmen or any other enemies coming for him <laughs> maybe maybe it's a defensive thing yeah he feels he could like hole up there and, and protect himself well that makes sense yeah yeah i always figured he, he must have traveled really far to get because he still goes by connor mcleod like to get away from those stories and live in a normal quote-unquote life he must have traveled pretty far i imagine just curious i mean a bit off topic but i've always been curious i never really did get much into the show other than just catching bits and pieces here and there like does it ever explain why so many mcclouds became immortals there's at least three right that i know of um there are well who's the third i know there are two in terms of official canon and well then wasn't there like another kinsman became an evil one i think you guys were talking about in a previous episode oh yeah there's jacob kell yeah jacob kell from endgame yeah, I think that's a pretty. There is a pretty high density of immortals in a fairly. I mean, obviously, it's just origin story syndrome, mm, mm-hmm. where everybody the protagonist knew at you know in their past life is eligible to be discovered to have you know uh-huh. some some ability or you know be be more plot relevant than they'd otherwise would be. I guess just thinking about it now, it is it's just an artifact of them choosing the title Highlander for this movie, and that. The rest of the franchise wants to keep that branding, but obviously Highlander is just about this specific character, not the Immortals. So, like, well, we're stuck having another Highlander as a protagonist. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's uh, you think, well, they should they should sell their blood because it could cure so many things, presumably. <laughs> and yet, I don't think they ever actually cast a Scott as any of the Highlander characters. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of Ad- uh, Adrian Paul and uh, Bruce Payne. Mm. Bruce Payne is he's English. So he's at least a bit closer. But what about oh. Superman? Yes, yes, he's English as well. And Rob, the entire nation of Scotland, Rob just said, 
just howled as one when you said he's English. So that's quite close because we know the Scots love... It's it's geographically closer. We know how much the Scots like to be called English. (laughs) (laughs) A a lot? Some? Well, I think this whole film's a shot across the bow in terms of Scotland because you've got (laughs) Sean Connery playing an Egyptian in scenes with Christopher Lambert playing a a Scot. So... Yep, indeed it was. um... I mean... Just another insult to the nation of Scotland, but um, but a glorious one. Just in case you didn't know, this was a fantasy film. Yeah. yeah, that's right. If we can get anybody to use that quote in, like, you know, if anybody ever does a write-up of this pod and we get them to use the quote, an insult to the nation of Scotland, <laughs> we can just, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy for us to brand as that, because I think that's really strong. Our work here is done. Uh, I think that's your subtitle now, yeah, yes. So <laughs> to the nation of Scotland. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's jump back to the very beginning of the scene then with the transition. Uh, we don't get a visual transition this time, but there's a nice little um, audio transition with the hammering of the horseshoe, which I think works primarily because of uh, Christopher Lambert's flinch. We see, we do see him like flinch to the the sounds he's listening to. Again, more indication that these are these are his memories we're jumping into. Mm. So yeah, and I mean, the previous episode, I kind of suggested that maybe he's not remembering any of this at all. But I guess on the complete other end of that, is he having like PTSD flashbacks? <laughs> well, I think this one's like a happy space. Um, it's it's a happy place memory, isn't it? It's uh, He's thinking back to Heather because yes. she's, yeah, the last time that he was happy, as we talked about on the last episode. Um, before we start to talk about Heather, can I just say that there is, I'm always impressed in films when someone is clearly wearing a wig gets it really wet and it still stays on. And when he dunks his... Mm. I mean, I presume it's a wig. It has to be a wig. I was wondering about that. What order did they, did they film the New York stuff first or the Scotland stuff first or the English, English I think stuff it, first? It could have been the New York stuff first, but the whole film was shot, I think, in, in like a couple of months. It wasn't a particularly long shoot. So, um, but uh, I just thought to get your hair that long... Mm. Yeah, I just thought that might be a wig. Um, Rob, what do you think? I've I've read a book on this that has apparently in no way stayed with me. (laughs) I think they actually might have shot New York last. I mean, I'm almost certainly just making that up. Um, (laughs) I'm assuming that they shot the UK, all the UK sequences together. Yeah. It would would have been weird to shoot in England or Scotland and then go back to New York before flying back to the UK. Yeah, so Russell Mulcahy on on the audio commentary talks about how they shot... Mm -hmm the Mona Lisa billboard and then went back to London and when they got out to London they then filmed the insert mm. um that may have just been pickups and posts though yeah 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 but either way I mean either way it looks good yeah I I, I wonder that too with this hair it's like oh that's either a really good wig or they filmed all this first <laughs> it's so you can tell that uh yeah you're talking to someone with hair loss because it's like oh look at that wig and that stays on really well and is that real <laughs> <laughs> I also like that uh that Connor bathes himself like my son does like sticks one body part in it's like all right the muck and muscle is gone and like no you're still filthy <laughs> bathe yourself you filthy sod that's- I mean, presumably there, there is kind of some running water nearby, like a brook where they do actually bathe. And, uh, you know, it was just Connor being playful 
that wasn't the extent of his of his hygiene. <laughs> I don't know. You you know how the British hate to bathe. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? We are a nation of deodorant wearers. Because he also eats his lunch like my kid does. I want my pie and ale! And then has like one bite. <laughs> pie and ale. Do you want it? Aye. <laughs> of course, Connor is distracted with other things, so I guess that's we'll get we'll give him a pass on that one. Yes, I actually, yeah, I think that is a perfect point to discuss. BT Edney, who is is really great in this. Yes, who just like every you know, I think we've we've talked about our love of pretty much every single character, major or incidental, so far. <laughs> but she's definitely you know she definitely gets the assignment. Yeah, I mean just that first shot of her, she just she uh, exudes so much joy and warmth mm. and love, which we haven't seen Connor experience yet, except for maybe his ride out to war. Uh, it yeah, just like two seconds of film, like we feel like we know who she is and what she provides for our protagonist. Yeah, she's like the embodiment of his salvation, isn't she? She, uh, yeah, and like, and and the chemistry between them is is great. I mean, like, I love Highlander, but if I'm going to say there's a flaw and like a big flaw, it's that while I love Brenda, I don't love their relationship. I think we kind of touched on it last episode. We're like they're together because they're the leads of the movie, and that's all the movie really gives us on their relationship. Which, if the movie is about Connor learning to love again and learning to let someone in again, like that is a bit of an indictment so thank god we have this so emotional and warm connection and relationship between heather and connor here because i think that this is what carries the emotional weight of the movie this is what sells who wants to live forever later on yeah indeed definitely it's uh yeah it's weird isn't it because when you look at the way that connor and brenda come together none of their scenes work in terms of them yeah, reaching any kind of attraction. And often the dialogue is just non-sequiturs that just don't link together at all. So you're thinking, well, actually, with these scenes, because obviously there's there's less to do in these scenes, they just have to show that they're a happy couple. But I think it is the strength of the performances that sell it, even in these scenes, more than, um, yeah, the the script, because B.T. Eden is not given a lot to do or say that, you know, really freshes out the character. It's It's all in... It's all in her wonderful performance, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, she's not super three-dimensional, uh, and not as much as Brenda is later. I mean, she's here as a, uh, you know, more of, yeah, the love interest to Connor than her own character. But there is just enough between her performance and just, like, the scenes in the village, her scenes with Ramirez, I think, are great that kind of do kind of lend a little more to her. And that especially their later scenes when she's growing older, uh, just, they make you care about her. Yeah. Yeah, because I think... Like, she's such an unambiguously good person. Mm -hmm. She's like, you know, she's really loving. She's really supportive. She's really charming and funny and just nice that you're immediately on side and you're like, yeah, this is a good, happy relationship that obviously, given the uh, the film, you know, given the future, can only end tragically. Yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, his last girlfriend tried to burn him. So that also, that informs this relationship as well. It's like, well, this is a lot less toxic. Good for you, Connor. As far as rebounds go, I mean, (laughs) Yes. I mean, there's a huge difference between burn him and you can do that to me forever, my lord. (laughs) You can do that to me forever if you like, my lord. There's there's a gulf. There's, yeah. Burn him! (laughs) Burn him! (laughs) yes uh it's so good but yeah i mean in a way like the film because again like you 
on paper, you're like, well, it's the Brenda and Connor story. That's what we need to hammer the most. And again, that's the one that feels more like, like it's the procedural, the police procedural elements of that work really well. But it is all these side characters, like Heather gets a fair amount. And I mean, just any scene where you're going to play who wants to live forever over is going to lend a lot of emotional weight. But even all of his kinsmen, uh, Kate, Kate's his previous girlfriend right yeah yes like they are just such little screen time but there is so much there like they are such interesting characters just the way they relate with connor and uh and heather again i mean thank goodness that works so well with heather because this is the love of his life and this this relationship needs to work for the rest of the movie to work and it it really does and that's the thing you know i think as you were saying heather is not a complex character and theirs is not a complex relationship but it's there is this kind of back and forth flashback present day structure to the story so i think one of the strengths of the film is as it, you know as you said how quickly it just sells this relationship it's like okay we're in we immediately understand it no notes <laughs> yeah and actually um yeah to your to your point cameron about how the actors even with their little screen time i think that the that the casting directors there are three casting directors for this film and they all did their job amazingly because, yeah, a lot of it is just because the faces fit and, mm-hmm. yeah, the performers do exactly what they need to with the dialogue that they're given. Um, it's a very well-cast film, this, even though it's always known as the film where the Frenchman plays the Scotsman and the Scotsman plays the Spaniard or something, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Ramirez may have been around Scotland for a while, or maybe he's just really good at picking up the uh, the accent of wherever he's at. Yeah, he has, uh, he has maybe somewhat more of a natural affinity. Yeah. Um, the uh, the casting was by Diane DeMeo, Anne Henderson, and Michael McLean, presumably no relation. <laughs> hmm. um, good team. So one of you mentioned something about the the back and forth of the flashbacks. I did want to kind of bring that up with our transition here in that the film does do a good job. Like there a lot of flashback shows, even ones I like, you do get to the point where you're like, oh, it's just getting invested in the, the flashback and now we're back in the present. Oh, it's just getting invested in the present, but now we're back in the flashback. As much as I loved Lost, I did get that feeling a lot. And I feel like Highlander sidesteps that for the most part in that they all flow really well. And I think it's because there's a lot of emotional uh, continuity between the present and the flashbacks when they go like we open up in the wrestling match and we go to a battle. We go from uh, Connor defeating someone and getting the quickening to him becoming an immortal the first time where he's meeting the Kurgan and getting beat up to his darkest day, getting kicked out of the the village. And here we are. He just met Brenda, his new love, going to be his new love and a love interest. And now we're going back to his first love. And it's very intelligently ties the scenes together. They're both being told chronologically, but they both manage to match up in that way. So you don't it doesn't feel jarring. No, I think that's partly to do with, um, and again, referencing back to the uh, the most recent episode, uh, to do with the transitions. The fact that real care is taken to make sure that there is some connection, whether it's visual or in terms of this, you know, um, Connor being in his sunken lounge, mm-hmm. clearly thinking about, you know, um, Brenda and about past relationships, and then through the sound of the horse show being hammered, it's really inventively but elegantly done. Yeah. And I think I think the film would, if it was just, you know, hard cuts or, or just, you know, standard wipes or whatever, potentially fall apart. But it's just the fact that they've gone, no, we we are travelling back into the past or moving, you know, back into the present now. And actually here is it we're making a feature of this. Mm-hmm. This is not just 
this is a thing that we need to do to move the story forward. It's actually, this has merit in its own right. <laughs> well, actually, on, on that point, and yeah, you might need to cut this bit, but Cameron, when you first watched it, can you remember if you watched the North American release version that was about 15 minutes shorter and chopped out a lot of things, including the flashback to World War II? I am pretty sure I watched the shorter version. I, I do have a memory of getting the DVD and being like, this is the extended version. I have a memory of seeing the World War II scene for the first time at a later date. So I, I do believe that's the case, yes. Because apparently that north american version just did not work at all and i remember reading i think it was in starburst magazine or something where they they did another review of highlander because they'd completely trashed the movie and then they'd found out there was this longer cut and said (laughs) this is really good there's so much great stuff in this we have no idea why we're not getting this version and i've always wanted to see that shorter version to see Mm. just just how bad it is because i think it sounds like what rob just said it just chops and there's just no care to it and that kind of stuff um, but it's, I think it's, I don't think you can get it now. Yeah. You know what else was cut? Cause I mean, it worked for me and my friends, obviously we, we loved it. Um, I mean, millions of North Americans probably were introduced to it on that, yeah. that, that copy and fell in love. Uh, and then hopefully saw the later version and was like, Oh, this works even better. Yeah. I'd like to find that copy, but it's, I just like to see that one because I'm just intrigued to see yeah, what they took out basically. Cause I know that the uh, flashback to Rachel wasn't in there, but that's the only one that I know. Yeah. was definitely taken out. Yeah, likewise, that's the only one I know for sure. So, Cameron, would you say retrospectively that you feel that, you know, your first um, relationship with this movie, your first kind of liaison was, you know, you had a good, you know, positive experience at the time. But looking back, you feel like you're almost slightly burned by it. And obviously you had a fuller, richer, more more passionate, more uh, more narratively central experience to it later on in life. feel I'm being used as a tool. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm being put in the middle of mommy and daddy fighting. What's what's happening? Oh no, sorry. I was attempting to use your relationship with the film as an allegory for uh, Connor's romantic liaisons. Connor's with um, oh, okay, yes, yes, Kate and with uh, Heather. Heather. Yeah, I mean, I, may, I that's why I relate so well with it. I suppose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get compared to uh, Connor McLeod often, so I'll take it when I can. That was a torturous route to get to that, Rob. <laughs> I can see where you were going, but it's like, oh, there's some thick thick swampy land to get through here to reach the end of this one i uh i heard you're laughing and i thought i thought he was digging in at you somehow um oh no no all our uh, passive aggressiveness is mostly kept you know away from the recording studio it's just all the subtext yeah yes it's just another text so yeah uh so heather i did you know i was like well let's let's dig into this heather is there any meaning here in the uh name and uh it turns out there is some did, did you guys pick up on any uh symbols or metaphors with her name well it's why he keeps calling her blossom presumably sure there's yeah i thought about that i blossom i will and there's lucky heather as well which was a which is a thing that you would be sold um yeah hundreds of years ago basically um and uh so i always thought that it was just taken from lucky heather but um what have you got oh that's nice i didn't pick up on that well apparently it is an iconic plant to scotland they uh, it, they're used interchangeably a lot in poems and text, um, which I didn't know. I thought maybe you guys might know that. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that it is a plant that flourishes in Europe and Scotland specifically, but is hard to grow in some areas of America or the New World. Um, so it's very much a plant of its time or of its place. So much like the character Heather, like she is, 
She's radiant. She glows. She's going to be a bright spot for Connor in this part of his life, but he can't take her with him into the future, into the new world. Uh, so I thought that was a nice little connection. And then also it's just, it's a very hardy plant. It's very resilient and can tolerate grazing and burning and uh, oh. perhaps being raped by a Kurgan and withstanding it well. Yeah, I think you're going to have to come back on because that's because that level of research is like, yeah, that's good. That's good. You can come back on. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, what, that's what I do. Well, it's just a Google, but yes, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm here for. That's great. Did uh, did people try to uh, import it into the US? I mean, it's, it, it looks beautiful, but I'm, I can't imagine it. I mean, I guess it's, uh, you know, it would have value as a decorative plant. But yes, definitely here. I think I'm guessing I didn't research it this far, but I'm guessing it's probably like the Southwest that it can't grow in because it grows in very uh, moist areas. Um, so I'm guessing it's like the drier areas of, of the Americas that where people have tried to grow it and can't. I love the idea of somebody being in Scotland and going, this, you know, this stuff's amazing. Do you know where I'm going to try? Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> uh they'll try anything especially those arizonans um i also noticed uh when we when we cut to the exterior shots this is the point where i went huh i wonder if i wonder if this composer did robin hood prince of thieves oh, yeah this composer did robin hood prince of thieves which you guys probably mentioned in your first episode but yeah there's just a musical cue here that is straight from uh from that film Yeah, that's um, yeah. Michael Kamen is the sound of eighties action and fantasy movies into the early nineties. And Robin Hood, yeah, definitely. I think he opened up the Highlander draw and went, yeah, that that's fine, that works. But <laughs> a good score is worth recycling. Yeah, that's the thing. Younger me was definitely very judgmental on composers when I would hear them copy themselves. But I've heard it so often now as I've gotten older and exposed to more films. I'm just like, oh, I guess that's just a thing composers do. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's like James Horner going back to Willow. I think we discussed last episode. I love the Willow score. And I've just discovered over the years that James Horner has like one sound for every villain in any movie. And it's it's the same one that General Kale has in Willow as the who are they in Avatar, the bad guys of Avatar. Oh, yes, that's right. They, yes. All, they all have the same French horns. What? The Americans? <laughs> the <laughs> Americans. It's <laughs> fair. It's true. That's how I remember it. <laughs> if the uh, metal exosuit fits. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he does have the... Cause, well, I mean, of course, James Horner also did the um, score to Aliens, which was then just used in so many trailers for other action films, that, that main uh, yeah, battle score. For sure, um, yeah. Yeah. So you wonder, yeah, just how many, or in any Morricone, he often would just have loads and loads and loads of um, uh, scores that were kind of variations mm -hmm. on other scores, and uh, which is how he could score nine movies a year during the 70s, because it was like... Well, yeah. is that, isn't that why he couldn't be nominated for Hateful Eight? I think it was, yeah. Or there was some issue with that, because of, you know, parts of it being reused from... Hmm. Was it The Thing? Well, Tarantino, yes, but that was a choice by Tarantino to use the pieces that have been written for the thing that never got used in the end yeah um but yes and 
So, Rob, you've seen Highlander Endgame, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, It probably deserves a rewatch, not necessarily based on... (laughs) I mean, just so that I can talk about it more here. Yeah, yeah. Deserves is a strong word. (laughs) And have you seen it, Cameron? I've seen it. I think I've seen most of the movies once. I've definitely seen three, and I'm pretty sure I watched Endgame, even though I never watched the TV show. But I, I was like, well, I know who Duncan is. I know well enough. Have you seen Highlander the Source? I don't believe so. Don't. I mean, <laughs> in much the way that we told MJ in the uh, previous episode not to watch the Highlander that shall not be named mm. if he hadn't. <laughs> this is very. That's this is like the TV movie version of that. That just leans <laughs> again. Just leans way too hard into the mythology. Is that I think you have a poster of that in the Discord. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's yes, right. We yes. do the uh, the very Star Wars Tron. Oh yes, there it is. That's right. The thing is, if it was Highlander the Source and Source was S A U C E, I would be really intrigued to watch that. But I imagine it, it isn't, is it? So no. <laughs> like it's just a cooking show. That's right. Like just showing all the recipes he's learned over the centuries. So I would watch that. You show you how they made spaghetti in fourteen hundreds Italy. That's right. <laughs> um, but I'm really intrigued by Highlander Endgame now because it reunites B.T. Edney with Christopher Lambert, doesn't it? He's in that one again. Yeah. Now, is, is she? do they just use unused footage or is she? did they bring the actress back? Because in my research, I couldn't tell. I saw one thing that said that it was footage and one that cast her, like, credited her as it. Well, I saw some Google images where they look older. They're together and they look older and Christopher Lambert is, you know, is, in, okay. is in costume with the long hair that is still to be uh, determined if it's a wig. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> the same, same one, the same wig, they just left it around. I think, I think it's previous footage. Really? Oh. And I think it's during the, uh, well, again, this is going to be a massive spoiler for Highlander Endgame, which I might cut later, uh, when Duncan kills Connor. Ah, it's fine. <laughs> because Connor forces him to take his head so that he can kill Jacob Kell. And then when Duncan receives the quickening, there are some shots of Connor and Heather together. Oh, right. Okay. So is mm. so is Christopher Lambert in it for like the first six minutes or something? Like No, he's in it for a chunk of it. That's like end of second act. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, have n- I remember watching it. have no memories of what happens in it. I am intrigued to watch it. Well, we've been talking about Connor a little bit, you know, uh, more in the previous episode. Uh, Connor as Jesus. Jacob Kell styles himself as Jesus in this film because he has a he has a Last Supper with his kind of acolytes because you know we we've been talking about the uh the, the Kurgan and you know why doesn't he get an army to support him and Jacob Kell actually does he actually assembles a team of immortals and uh towards the end of the film he executes all of them uh in a meal that's kind of self-styled as you know the Last Supper albeit not for Jesus in that scenario um which they must have seen coming I mean, if they're all immortal, it's like, I really trust this guy not to try and kill me at some point. I mean, yeah, I think I think if you end up in a team of immortals, you essentially, oh, no, that's that's a movie, man on a mission movie, but it's Highlander <laughs> and they're all immortals. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what form the remake is taking, but I mean, that's that's kind of what I almost want them to remake the TV show because like Highlander really does lend itself to like a serialized TV show, like maybe just a, a mini series or a limited series, but where we get to see just all of these different characters and how they all deal with this gift uh, in different ways, some maniacal, some more benevolent. Yeah, indeed, definitely. I think there's that's the thing is that there's so much to explore here because lots of people who, who love Highlander just, just talk and theorize about it, which is why I yeah. always kind of, 
steer away from the wickers because it's like, well, the wickers will give me an answer then. Yeah. And it's like, and that will then be the definitive answer. Well, it's going to give you like three answers, one from the comic, one from like the film commentary, one from the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Brenda dies two different ways depending on which sequel you're looking at. Well, seeing as how we saw how well Connor drives in the uh, opening scene, I'm, I'm guessing it's the car crash. That one makes the most sense. <laughs> I guess it's not the opening scene, but... <laughs> yeah, and is the other one old age, Rob? Does she die of old age in the other one? No, the other one's solar poisoning, ah. which is yeah. Highlander. No, which is the Highlander that shall not be named. I almost fell into the trap there. <laughs> Oh, right. Oh, I, oh, right. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. yes. it is a rich tapestry, a Scottish tapestry. Well, let's return to Old Mick Cloud's farm. Yeah. Uh, as as he has. That was, that was the best <laughs> best I could come up with. I wanted to reference Old McCloud's farm. <laughs> uh, he, yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll cut to the, uh, the more PG of the sex scenes in this film. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, also the better, the better sex scene in this film. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah, it does look like they're having quite a nice time, whereas the one later does look like that very arty sex scene where it's like, they just don't look into this at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, this one feels much more period piece and that one feels much more 80s. So I guess there's there's that. Maybe there's a conscious directorial decision there. Yeah. We also we get the first few bars of Who Wants to Live Forever here. Uh, I've, I've named it, dropped that a lot. I mean, it is, you know, possibly the best song ever written. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's definitely in my top 10, probably. I love I love Who Wants to Live Forever. Uh, 16 unrequited year old me listened to that song endlessly with probably very similar brooding expressions, hmm. uh, less, less sunken lounges involved, but I, uh, I love the fact that it was inspired by this film. Yes. That it was written. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the good things about watching the, uh, the extended, the non-American cut of it, it was, you were like, my God, it's a kind of magic finally makes sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think that Brian May just wrote it in the back of a car when he was coming back from some, I don't know, society do or like award show or something. And just... I believe that if I'm remembering my liner notes correctly, and I could be wrong, I think they watched like an early cut of the film. Yeah. And yes, it was in the car driving back from that, that he was like, well, I know the song for that. Oh, right. Like he was inspired by watching the film. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's just amazing when, when you hear it's yeah, yeah, like a car ride later had this song. And as you said, it's just one of the great songs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, uh, reading that bit of information on the liner note, I think it's one like one of the first times I was like, huh, maybe I should pay more attention to like the bandmates and not just the lead singer, because obviously Brian May has got some talent, which I mean, is such an understatement now, of course. <laughs> but, you know, young, just getting into music, me I was like, oh, yeah, it's the whole band, of course. Yeah, the fact that, you know, Brian May has now gone on to do a PhD in astrophysics. Well, uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, well, just his guitar solos and everything. I mean, yeah. But yeah, that's he's an impressive gentleman for sure. Like Connor, he's reaching his potential. <laughs> I do have a question here. Do you think the reason Connor uh, has such a, an oral fixation on Brenda's breast later is because Heather always kept hers covered during the boinking? Is that? I... Am I connecting the dots here correctly? The, the nipple size dots. I didn't ever consider that, but now I can't consider anything else. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Ooh, boobies, what are these? The last lady I was with never revealed them to me. Well, that's one, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, 
sexual hang-ups stemming from kind of historical era prudishness. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't re- quite reached that scene yet, but the hotel proprietor does say that uh, the Kurgan was kinky. Hey, Rockefeller, how'd you like candy? She said you were kind of kinky, huh? So, oh, well, I mean, yeah, yes. maybe immortals <laughs> just a bunch of perverts. You get bored with missionary <laughs> after a couple centuries and you want to mix it up a bit. That's right. Um, but that's actually one point there, isn't it? That they, that it was a very, very religious society. I mean, there's nothing that you know, really suggests that um, that Heather is prudish, but there was an element of that in yeah, just in that time. But uh, yeah, but I think I'm reaching now, to be honest. Sure. And again, this scene was just, it was more of a PG sequence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is just funny, because this is like such the classic TV lovemaking scene, and then the next one is like, pretty, I mean, pretty in your face. Uh, I believe you can see the mat that they're lying on under the blanket behind them. Oh, I didn't see that. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> I think there's the, you can notice, there's a line, a blue line, I'm like, that doesn't look like part of the blanket, that looks like a mat, because we can't have our actors lie on the ground. I'll go back and watch that again. So that's the bit when is that the bit when <laughs> the horse jumps over them or uh... no? It's it's when he rolls off her and they talk about doing it oh. forever. Oh. You can do that to me forever if you like, my lord. Will you, Connor? Aye, Blossom. I will. <laughs> right. Would you do that to me forever, Connor? Well, no. We have to eat, Heather. We can't just make love forever. What are you talking about? We've got chickens to take care of and a castle to build. I'm, I've. <laughs> I would, Heather, but I'm working on my huge phallic structure that, uh, <laughs> that's right. It's just taken up all of my time. It's a monument to the queer text of this film, Heather. Jeez, <laughs> cut me some slack. <laughs> oh, oh, Cameron, always practical. <laughs> yes. Well, there we go. <laughs> so that I can see my enemies from it. And uh, yes. Um, uh, well, Heather, I could do that to you forever because I'm immortal. But honey, you need to have, you know, a, an egg or two now and then. You need to have your pie and ale. Yeah, that's, well, that's true. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, Heather, you know, skipping ahead to the um, the tragic demise of... It's amazing how well she ages that she looks a lot like a young woman in some makeup. Don't, don't, Rob, I just refuse <laughs> to have you say anything bad about it. This film was not meant to be seen in high definition, Rob. <laughs> That's quite simply one of the most moving moments of cinema ever, and uh, I will not have it. <laughs> my beautiful man. My husband. I am that, my love. No, you know what? I completely agree. I It's the Highland air. It's the goat's milk. There was no hormones in the food back then. People aged better, okay? Absolutely. And I mean, she was she was 45. <laughs> I was going to say she was probably 45. <laughs> she she was the ripe old age of 28 when she died (laughs) she was she was so happy to live that long Uh, i mean yes that that the uh, the rest of the film in terms of the flashbacks in uh, connor's and heather's relationship are set in real time that's right (laughs) we had a lifetime together 12 months Uh. So is there anything, I'm trying to think, is there anything else to say about this really nice scene? There is, I mean, there's a there's a thing on the audio commentary that's probably worth mentioning. Mm. Um, Russell Mulcahy tells a story, then gets really worried that he's going to get into trouble for it and says maybe we should cut this bit. So, And he, like me, never does. So let's make sure everyone hears it. <laughs> yeah. Where they built Connor's workshop, there was some rocks there. And they were told these rocks are very, very significant because... Um, apparently Queen Victoria sat here and had lunch once. Mm. So they said, okay, then. So they moved all the rocks. 
to <laughs> so they could then build the workshop and then just couldn't be asked to put all the rocks back. So all these rocks are now over from where she had her lunch, apparently. <laughs> and um, yes, I think he got a bit worried that maybe the Scottish Tourist Board might come after him um <laughs> in all fairness though highlander has done more for that location than queen victoria ever did <laughs> true 100 percent, very true 100 percent. i thought i thought he was gonna say well this takes place before she had that lunch so we have to move them <laughs> historically speaking yeah exactly uh, you know it's a pre it's a predestination you know if if we don't move <laughs> them then she can't have her lunch there <laughs> and history will be a torn asunder that's right exactly how it happened <laughs> People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Uh, well, th- I did say that, you know, uh, we get a little uh, Sean Connery essence here, because there is, just before we cut to the horse, we hear the winning, and we see a bright gold flash hit Connor and Heather, as if Quentin Tarantino just suddenly opened up the Pulp Fiction briefcase on them. <laughs> uh, and, and to jump to the next scene, I mean, you know, Ramirez and the horse have some brass and gold glittery things, but not this much. So glad that you said that. Yeah, that's, but that's a really nice moment, though, I think, when to it is. just to announce it. It's just one of those things, because this film was full of those little directorial flourishes where it's like, yeah, we just got a reflector board and just you know, shone it on the actors. Um it didn't need it, but it just adds something to it, doesn't it? Right. Oh, no, yeah. It, it, on a surreal level, it definitely works. Uh, I just like to think that it's just the Sean Connery's juice flowing in the <laughs> air, but yes. Um, it is, it's his essence. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's, he's got some. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's those moments that, that make me realize what Highlander is, because I do know some people are like, well, it's, I mean, it looks, the, the castle looks like a set later, his tower, his phallic castle looks like a set later, and and these other things, I'm like, well, I mean, Highlander is an opera. Like, I, I feel like that's what they're going for. It's supposed to be stagey. It's supposed to be presenty. It's supposed to be surreal. You've got Queen of all people doing the the soundtrack. Like, how many different ways can they tell us this is an opera? View it through that lens. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So might need to get you back on for the scene when they're fighting on the steps because those backdrops are pretty impressive <laughs> oh yes yeah i mean that that is the scene where i kind of made that connection i'm like oh well this i mean this looks like a theatrical presentation and for me it works because i recognize that's what they're trying to do yeah yeah okay in which case yeah cameron lets you know if not before then let's definitely pencil you in to get you back for the uh the tower fight oh well it's 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 on uh on tape now now going back until you get into the edit room bastard <laughs> that's right i have no memory of mentioning <laughs> guys <that>. remember <laughs> cool so is there um anything else to say about this scene so they have just finished coitus and we see him roll off or we don't really see him tug his kilt down though did ramirez get like a nice healthy view of, of connor's ass sticking up there i I'm just I'm wondering what's happening just off screen. <laughs> oh yeah, he definitely watched them fuck. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of that. Oh. <laughs> shocking. Positively shocking. Well, actually, you have made me think. Just how long was Ramirez lurking around before he decided to jump over them? Oh, Ramirez. <laughs> that's where that's where uh, Connor learned all of his creepiness. Yeah. You call that short play? I've been here for half an hour. <laughs> now, now, Connor, now that I've taught you all the ways of being an immortal, let me teach you how to approach a woman in a bar. <laughs> you call that skulking? Yeah. 
Good stuff. Yes, please address <laughs> more of that next episode. Well, yes, well, we have to now. Yeah, that's going to be the entire thing. But yeah, yeah, he definitely was just hanging around for half hour thinking, oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> they really need to fit it. I've got to make an impressive appearance, but I can't do it in the mid-coitus. That's right. It's the it's on the same level of we do not fight in holy ground. You do not interrupt someone mid coitus. We it's a rule that will not be broken. Yeah, not even the Kurgan will break that rule. That's right. None of us will violate that law. It's tradition. Yes, now now I'm imagining a scenario where the an immortal's like, We have to keep fucking or he'll kill me. <laughs> 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 it's the only way i will do this to you forever my sword is way over there that's right my sword is quite raw right now but um, <laughs> we I did it guys we made a dick joke <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean, to be completely honest i thought that was the plot of endgame now i know it's not then mm, i'll probably still watch it <laughs> well on that bum note shall we um, so Cameron, this was an absolute joy. Thank you for coming on again. And a thank you to you. Thanks. A joy to be here. And um, if people want to find you and your work on the internet, where should they go? Yes. If you'd like to hear more of my Sean Connery accents, uh, it is now, uh, it started out accidental. Now it's just the running gag that whenever I do my Picard accent, he sounds a lot like Sean Connery. <laughs> be on my Star Trek podcast. Green Shirt and Newbie Strike Through TNG, where I am watching the seminal TNG for the very first time with my much more somewhat Trek savvy friends. And uh, we're halfway, getting halfway through season five. Good stuff. The episodes, I mean, Star Trek gets really good season five. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to talk about them. You can find us at Greenshirt87, facebook.com slash greenshirtpodcast. Um, and I'll, this time I'll, I'll also, uh, Pimp, I've helped out on this film it is a feature-length all-puppet horror film called Franken Zed. it really is quite something special i kind of helped out on set helped out with the writing a little bit of the editing i'm not the writer director but i was there for a lot of it it's a really great film go to puppetcore.com you can check out a preview just to see like how original and kind of mind-blowingly cool this film is it's going around blown up uh festival circuits now hopefully it will find some sort of distribution and uh if you're not in a festival location we'll be able to watch it sometime soon frankenzed puppetcore.com well that sounds fantastic i'll definitely check that out please do and I will include this in the show notes. Great. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Um, and actually, one great thing about Green Shirt, because I have to admit, I watched bits and pieces of Next Generation, but I didn't really watch it regularly. But mm -hmm. you don't need to watch the episode to listen to the podcast. You describe it very well. <laughs> and there's so there are so many jokes in there that it's just it's just funny to listen to it. Oh, thank you. We oh, you'd be amazed how many of our audience have never watched Highlander. <laughs> really? Wow. None. Never watched no, it. Was a, it was a transparent lie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, one, one two-hour film's a lot easier than uh, seven seasons of television. But... True. I mean, I mean, that being said, if anybody listening to this has never watched Highlander, firstly, we're very flattered. Secondly, <laughs> yes. why? Yeah. Thirdly, it's... get them on and like find out their experience. It must be an experience watching this film this way. Yeah, that's right. For uh... the first time. But yeah, so um, yeah, so even if you've not seen the next generation, then uh, yeah, still worth listening to the podcast because yeah, it does. It did make me chuckle, and was actually really interesting. And just some of the theories you guys were coming out with about the game episode was uh, great. <laughs> uh, that was that was a good one, I think. Yeah, a recent episode of the game. Yeah, thank you. We do we do try to straddle like appealing to the very casual Star Trek fan and the hardcore nerds. Uh, hope hopefully we do that. Yeah. 
Um, and Rob, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can do so at Robert M. Wallace. If you want to find my writing, uh, it's at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, then I'm at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. Um, and you can find my writing at electric-shadows.com and um, filmstories.co.uk. And if you want to follow this podcast, then you can at McLeod Time. You can also drop us a line at who wants to pod forever at gmail.com. We have a sister podcast called The Movie Robcast. You can listen to that wherever you listen to this podcast. And you can follow that at Movie Robcast. And Cameron, would you like to another time McLeod us out? Oh, absolutely. Let me get into my Kurgan essence. So until next time. Another time, McLeod. Another time, McLeod!